Well, hello there, and welcome to the My Adoption Coach podcast, where I give you the step-by-step support and guidance you need on your domestic adoption journey. My name is Amanda, and I'm an adoptive mom of two on a mission to make your adoption easier, faster, and more affordable, because no one should walk the domestic adoption journey alone. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the My Adoption Coach podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to adopt with a private agency. But first, let's start with a quick reminder of what adopting with a private agency really means. When you adopt with a private agency, they are guiding you through the entire process. More specifically, they're working on your behalf to find an expectant mother that would be a good match for your family. They have a list of expectant mothers that have come to them through referrals, advertising, or in some cases, because they've worked with them in the past. The main difference between adopting with an agency versus adopting with an attorney would be the reach or the number of expectant mothers that they're actively matching with. Because most agencies advertise and attorneys do not, they simply have more opportunities to match. So let's also take a moment to have a quick refresher on those facts that we talked about in episode one. Again, those facts come from AdoptiveFamilies.com, and we're going to talk about cost, wait times, and contact. From a cost perspective, the average private agency adoption is about $41,000. Wait times, typically about 60% of families will be matched within a year, and about the remaining 20% of those families will be placed within two years. But this does vary dramatically based upon exposure levels or simply the number of expectant parents that an adoption agency has to match you with. And then contact after birth. So again, this is going to be something that's highly specific to your individual situation. However, these days, most private agency adoptions are requiring what's called semi-open, which means you're at least going to communicate through the agency, if not through some other type of anonymous media. So maybe an email address, maybe a Google voice number, or it may range all the way to fully open where you have visits and maybe your friends on Facebook or Instagram and share photos and updates that way. Okay, so now let's dive into the steps of adopting with a private agency. If you listen to episode number two on how to adopt with a private attorney, you're going to recognize some of these steps because they're pretty similar. But there are 10 steps to adopting with a private agency. Step number one, agency interview. Step number two, paperwork. Step number three, home study. Step number four, profile building. Step number five, matching. Step number six, pre-birth communication. Step number seven, hospital time. Step number eight, ICPC. Don't worry, I'll decode that for you in just a few minutes. Step number nine, finalization. And finally, step number 10, court. Before we dive into each one of these more in depth, let's pause for a minute for an important announcement from our sponsor. Gee, I wonder who our sponsor is today. Oh yeah, it's the free step-by-step guide for adopting with a private agency by My Adoption Coach. This amazing free resource is available for you at myadoptioncoach backslash private agency. This resource breaks down the process step-by-step of adopting with a private agency. Because you know, I always have your back when it comes to making your adoption easier. Okay, now let's dive back into the steps of adopting with a private agency. The very first step is an agency interview. During this step, 
you would have a conference call or an in-person meeting with an agency to get a better understanding of the overall process and requirements. The objective of this meeting should be to determine if the agency is a good fit for your particular needs and desires from the adoption process. During this meeting, I would ask them about their success rates, how quickly they match, the average wait time is another way to say that, the cost, what their general process is, how they communicate with you during each phase of the matching process, as well as the setup process. Understanding how they communicate is really important here. Honestly, to me, it was more important than the cost because I wanted to know what was going on at each step of the process. And going months without hearing from them, honestly, the the idea of it just panicked me. So I wanted to have a very clear understanding of, are you going to email me whenever my profile is being sent? Are you going to ask me if there are profiles that are maybe a little bit outside of either my budget or my specifications and what I feel equipped to parent? I wanted to be super close in contact with them. And so that was important to me from an agency perspective. It was also super important to me to understand what happens if the adoption disrupted. So, and I know that the term a disrupted adoption or failed adoption can be polarizing in the adoption community. Know that I, I do not mean any disrespect to anyone because it depends upon your point of view in the adoption uh, triad as to how you feel about that particular term. The intent of what I'm trying to talk about here is if the adoption does not finalize what happens to your investment. Um, obviously you've got a lot of emotional investment there that is, you know, not something we can account for, but the financial investment, it was important for me to understand what would happen to my financial investment. So taking the time on the agency interview process is really important. Don't rush through the step because you're anxious to get started and you see every day is another day further away from bringing home your baby. Take the time to really think through this and make sure it feels like a good fit. If you have any questions on this step, feel free to reach out anytime. Um, It is just so incredibly important. Okay, step number two, the paperwork phase. So each agency will have what I kind of call a mountain of paperwork for you to complete. I mean, this typically involves previous year's tax returns, medical statements from doctors, reference letters from friends and family, questionnaires on what type of adoption opportunities you're open to, pre-adoption contact preferences, and post-finalization contact preferences. The list will still depend upon each individual agency, but they should be able to give you a step-by-step checklist of what you need to complete. Following that is going to be really important, especially in the next phase, which is your home study phase. During this phase, you'll be paired with a social worker in your state that will physically come to your home to inspect that it is safe enough for a baby. While it may sound completely absurd that you need to ensure that your home is even childproof at this stage, it is something that is important from a home study perspective. Typically, you don't have to go as far as having a complete nursery set up, but you need to have plans on where you're going to place a nursery and be able to talk the social worker through your plans. Again, the agency will have a really detailed checklist that you must adhere to, and it's important that you complete that list perfectly in order to be improved. Typically, the home study visit will include an interview 
where they'll ask you questions about how you intend to parent the child, how you intend to care for a child on a daily basis, your family history, growing up, just several background type questions. And they will all feel completely unnecessary to you, but it is important that they create an overview of what life would be like in your home. And those are all really important. We'll talk about how to pass your home study in a future episode. But if this is the stage you're at right now when you're listening to this, feel free to reach out to me at any time uh, via the free Facebook group. And I'm happy to help answer um, any questions you have so that you can get prepared for this important step. Okay, step number four, the profile building phase. During this phase, you'll be asked to create a profile of your family that can be shown to potential birth families to help them get to know you better. This phase is really critical as it helps the birth families narrow down their options and ultimately pick a family to match with. So saying that this is a really critical step, I think, is quite an understatement. We'll go deeper into how to effectively do this in another podcast. But again, if you need help right now in this moment, reach out and I can help you today. Matching phase. Phase number five. Once your profile is ready to be shared with birth families, you're considered to be a live family. This means you can take placement of a child at any time. Typically, the agency will call you and go over each opportunity with you. You'll get a review of their medical situation, the communication preferences of the birth family, and the financial requirements that need to be met for each opportunity. Once you agree to these requirements, you will typically be put into contact with the birth family. It is so critically important that at this stage, you take a breath and ask all the questions in your mind and your heart that you and your partner consult and make sure that you feel really equipped in order to move forward into the matching phase. I know that the instinct is going to be just to go for it, right? You're so excited. They've picked you. You're ready. You're tired of waiting. But this moment is so critically important. You want to make sure that your goals and the expectant family's goals are in alignment. If they're not, this is one area that can quickly lead to disruption if you don't sort through the misalignments up front. Placing a child is incredibly stressful for an expectant family. So having a match disrupt because the adoptive families change their mind after they matched is really, really hard. So take the moment, do your due diligence, ensure that you feel equipped to parent before you say yes to an opportunity. Okay, I'm going to put away my soapbox and we're going to move on to step or phase as I keep calling it, (laughs) number six, pre-birth communication. Depending on the timeline of this particular opportunity, this phase may or may not happen. You may get chosen after the baby's already born, or it may be something that the expectant family doesn't want to do. It all comes down to the communication preferences of the birth family and that you agreed to in the previous phases. However, if you do get the opportunity to know the birth family, this is a truly special time and I really encourage you to cherish it. Take detailed notes of your conversation as these details you will be able to fill in for a child as they grow and ask questions. While you don't want it to seem like you're interviewing them, it is important to ask things that you would like to be able to share with your child to paint a picture of what their birth family was like. 
You want to know what it was like when they were growing up. Of course, you want to know all the hopes and dreams that they have for this child. And a little bit more messy of a topic, you want to understand why they are making this decision. You also want to be able to fill in the little details. What do they love? What are some of their personality traits that make them the amazing person they are today? Again, you want to be careful not to dig too much, but this might be the only opportunity you have for communication. So be sure to ask all the questions that you think your child might want to know as they grow. All right, moving on to step number seven, the hospital phase. Again, with most things in the adoption process, this step will vary dramatically based upon each individual opportunity. However, if you get the opportunity to be there for birth, it is simply amazing. Having been there twice um, out of my three adoption opportunities, it is, um, it is a moment that I simply remember to this day. So let me also prepare you that you're likely not going to get the opportunity to be in the room for the birth. And I know that this may be hard for some of us that have been on an infertility journey. But you really want to respect the privacy of the expectant family through this difficult time. This is something that you really want to make sure you get super clear on during the either matching phase or the pre-birth communication phase. This is something that you'll get a little bit more insight when the agency will present the family to you, but they likely won't have all the details worked out. It may be something that you have to determine as you go through the pre-birth communication phase. But what's important to remember about the hospital phase is that emotions are running on high for both sides. And the hospital staff, they'll always err on the side of the birth family because legally that is who is in charge of this child until finalization occurs. Ensuring that you adhere to any agreements that were in place prior to the hospital phase is critical to ensure that the placement continues to run smoothly. Be in communication regularly with your agency about what's going on and any questions you have while you are physically in the hospital is really important. They will help be the go-between between you and the expectant family so that you can give them the space and grace and um, respect that's really needed at this stage. While this is a very joyous moment for your family, it can be rather sad for the expectant family. Communicating with honesty and respect and, and really just love is incredibly important during this phase. One other important tip for you, just kind of a, a bonus tip, is before you go to the hospital, if you know what hospital you're going to be delivering at, um, I would really recommend that you call the hospital social worker before you just show up. The agency will likely be calling them as well. But I always think it's important to have a good personal relationship with the hospital social worker because they'll help pave the way with the nursing staff so that they know what's happening um, whenever you do show up for hospital time. So our hospital social worker enabled us to have a room to wait for the baby to be born. Um, they had an open communication with the nurses and told them that we were coming and that it was an adoption and shared our communication preferences, um, as well as the communication preferences of our expectant family, which becomes your birth family once they give birth. 
uh, but shared the communication preferences of our expectant family with the nursing staff. And I just felt like it made the process run a whole lot more smoothly. The other like secret bonus tip I would share as well is that you're an extra burden to these nurses, right? While most nurses will have the mindset of they're thankful that a family is adopting this child, they're thankful that this child is not going into foster care, and they'll want to to go out of your way, out of their way to help you. The reality is you're an extra set of people to be responsible for, right? So you want to be thankful, you want to be appreciative, you want to share small gifts and joyous moments with these nurses, because again, you're an extra burden. So just take a minute to be kind to them, a little extra kind, if you will, um, to really show your gratitude of, of how they're supporting your adoption journey in, in the last mile, so to speak. Okay, let's move on to ICPC, which is step number eight. And ICPC stands for Interstate Compact on the Placement of Children. So if you are adopting a child that was born in a different state than the state you live in, this will apply to you. If not, it doesn't apply to you. And congratulations, because it can be a nerve wracking step. Each state has a different set of rules to be followed during this time. And in fact, you cannot leave the state that your child was born in to return to your home state until after you clear ICPC. When you're adopting with an agency, they're going to handle all of the paperwork side of this, but it is important that you understand what it means. This is basically an agreement between the states to take responsibility for you adhering to the birth state's guidelines for adopting the child. The home state of the child where they're going to live and grow up must take responsibility before you can leave. Thus, the reason why you can't leave the state that they were born in until your home state or your adopting state takes responsibility for finalizing the adoption. Again, the benefit of working with an agency is they're going to handle the paperwork side of this because at this point, you're caring for an infant. But it is important that you prepare ahead if you will have to adhere to ICPC. You should have a game plan as it relates to where you're going to wait out your ICPC time and make sure you are very clear about how you can care for an infant in that environment if you're there for two days or in our case, three weeks. Having a plan of where you're going to make bottles, wash bottles, wash clothes, where they're going to sleep, where you're going to change diapers is really important. But my counsel is, even if you're first-time parents, or especially if you're first-time parents, don't overpack. (laughs) Remember that there are stores where you're going and that you can buy what you need there. But I would plan to have a couple of outfits, a couple of bottles, um, you know, a small package of diapers and wipes, just kind of those necessities to get you started. And then once you're there, you can always purchase what you need. In our particular case, we had the opportunity to drive to uh, to the hospital, which was really a lifesaver. And then we chose to wait it out, so to speak, in an Airbnb that had a full kitchen, that had laundry room, that had uh, actually multiple bedrooms. 
So that way one uh, parent could be sleeping while the other parent was caring for the child. And we could take turns and, you know, kind of have shifts, if you will. Um, and that can sound like a really expensive option, uh, which it can be. But I would encourage you to reach out wherever you're planning to stay and tell them what you're there for. In our case, they gave us basically 75% off their weekly rate. One, because it was off season um, for that particular vacation town. But then two, um, because that happens to be where our daughter was born. Uh, but then two, they were just really um, supportive of adoption in general. They had a friend that had adopted. They understood how expensive it was. And so they were just being super kind. So in our particular case, we chose to go to the closest major city that was near the state line um, to get us back home. And that was the area that I researched quite literally in the vehicle driving to the hospital to to pick her up. Um, I called and just found, you know, a few places, found a few options, explained what the situation was. And um, the place that we ended up choosing was honestly the best deal uh, for us. So I've also heard of other families doing things ahead of time, like using credit cards that have hotel points for everyday purchases, paying it off at the end of the month, but getting those hotel points and then choosing like an extended stay opportunity at one of those hotels that has, again, like a mini kitchen and a laundry and those types of things. Again, just be creative here. But my advice to you would be to think ahead about how you're going to care for the child, both from a location perspective and what you need for them. Uh, because ICPC can can take a hot minute <laughs> to complete and you just don't really know how long it's going to take. So you want to be prepared um, so that way you are comfortable as a family as you're bonding in those first few days after birth. Okay, step number four, finalization. This step typically happens with about one to two more visits or phone conversations from your social worker to ensure that everyone is adjusting well to their new environment and routine. These visits will also conclude the final home inspections. Now, it is important to note that you don't have to have a nursery fully set up, but oftentimes the social worker will require to see where the child is sleeping and that they have a bed of their own. Now, some social workers do not believe in co-sleeping. If you do not know this about your social worker and you are practicing co-sleeping, err on the side of being safe and just simply talk about their bed and where they sleep and leave it at that. This is not to get controversial at all, but just to, and not encouraging you to lie by any means, but encouraging you to know your social worker and their requirement. Most of the time, as long as they have a bassinet, and a room that they'll be living in full time, this will allow you to pass this stage. But it is really important that you verify with your social worker ahead of their visit if there's anything in particular you need to be watching out for or making sure is accomplished. That way you don't have any hiccups in that final report. Because once the final reports are submitted from your social worker, you can proceed to the legal finalization or court day, which is step number 10. This is the day where everything becomes legal. Everything is completely finished after this day. Depending on the situation, this could be done in person or over the phone, but most of the time you are finalizing in the birth state 
unless that is something you arranged ahead of time. Back at the matching phase, that is one of those important questions to ask. Which state will be the finalizing state for the adoption? Because you don't want to be surprised (laughs) um, as to any requirements that pop up along the way or that change because you thought you were finalizing in your home state and they thought you were finalizing in the birth state. And also don't be surprised if this step seems to fly by in the day, in the moment, because you're one of a number of court cases that this judge is processing that day. And so I know in our particular case, both times, it took less than 30 minutes. But it was important to me to celebrate the moment. So I took photos with a professional photographer. We um, had a little celebration planned as a family, just to, you know, make everyone officially a member of our family. Um, And this is something that you will look back on for years to come. So when you're struggling in the adoption process, this is a day that I would manifest for myself. I would think about it in great detail. I would think about the emotions. I would think about what I'm wearing, where we are, what we're doing. And then I would think about how we celebrate this with a child in the future to think of, to really come up with a list of all of those other things that I might want to do on the official court day. So I know it may seem a little woo-woo to manifest, but I promise if you do this during your adoption process, it will give you the strength to make it through the darkest hours. Well, we've done it. We've talked about all the steps to adopt a baby with a private agency. I know there was a lot of content there and it maybe was a little overwhelming, but don't forget, I always give you that free resource for each episode to help walk you through the process step by step. So make sure you head on over to myadoptioncoach.com backslash private agency so that you can download this and use it as you go through your own adoption process. Adoption can be so overwhelming and scary, but it just doesn't have to be that way. Jump into the My Adoption Coach group on Facebook so that we can support you in your journey. Remember, anything is possible with a plan and support. You can do this and I've totally got your back.